Welcome, everyone. I am Bob Wurzelbacher, the director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we'll discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena. We'll hear personal stories from people deeply affected by those issues, and finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. This month's topic is labor trafficking. So let's talk now with this week's guest. Will you please introduce yourself? My name is Samantha Searles, and I work for the Intercommunity Justice and Peace Center here in Cincinnati, Ohio. All right, Samantha, this month's topic is labor trafficking. So what is labor trafficking in the first place? The definition of human trafficking is actually really complex, so I'd like to give a simple version to you today. Human trafficking is the holding, recruiting, or moving people through the use of force, fraud, or coercion to make them work or use their bodies against their will. That definition has three parts, and so in order for a situation to be human trafficking or labor trafficking, it has to have each of those parts. The first is the action of the trafficker, the second is the means of control, and the third is the purpose or what they're being forced to do. What does that look like, practically speaking, right? Particularly maybe in the United States. What does it look like when someone is being trafficked? Labor trafficking is really complex and can look like a lot of different things. And sometimes we may see a situation and it will be labor trafficking and we won't even know. The Polaris Project actually has a list of 25 typologies of trafficking or places or industries where trafficking has occurred. So labor trafficking specifically can happen in the restaurant industry if the workers are in horrible conditions and aren't properly being paid for their work. It could happen in the animal husbandry or farming industry if the workers, especially if they're seasonal immigrant labor, are being held in horrible conditions or they've been brought to the farm for that purpose against their will. It could even happen in hotels and hospitality as well as construction. If a lot of companies use different contracts with small businesses, there's less accountability and more likely that the labor that they're using is trafficked labor. So Samantha, I would imagine that in the United States, the most common form of trafficking would be with foreign nationals, people who might have some kind of issues with visa, whether their visa is tied to the employer or maybe they don't even have one. Is that true? Can it also happen with U.S. citizens even as well. So the statistics on labor trafficking are really hard to find for lots of different reasons. One of the reasons you just brought up is that the victim may be an immigrant and the trafficker could be holding their legal documentation papers against them and threatening them with deportation. A lot of work visas are tied to the employer, hence the term work visa. So the employer has a lot of power over them, and most immigrants who are labor trafficked actually come into the country with legal work papers obtained by their trafficker. But in terms of statistics, if you look at the National Human Trafficking Hotline, which takes reported cases, about 72% of those cases in the United States are sex trafficking based because sex trafficking is easier to identify, and we've been talking about it for way longer. Only 11% of the cases reported to the National Human Trafficking Hotline are labor trafficking cases. And sometimes the cases that are reported are a little bit of both or it's hard to identify. So we as a community need to be better at identifying what labor trafficking is 
and being sure to report it and coordinating with law enforcement agencies to investigate these crimes so we can really know what they look like. They have a few examples of actual stories where people who have been trafficked, this was their situation, this is how it happened, to give people a good idea of what does it look like and what is happening right here in the United States. Yes, I have a couple of different stories I'd like to share. So there have actually been a few cases of labor trafficking that have caught the attention of the news. One of the biggest cases happened in 2014 at an egg farm just outside of Marion, Ohio. The traffickers contacted impoverished families in Guatemala and convinced them to send their children to the United States to work and earn money for their families. So the traffickers convinced the families to give up deeds to their property or to pay large sums of money for their children to be smuggled into the United States. Once they arrive, there is a process for children who arrive without their parents and they're called unaccompanied minors. The government takes possession of them and places them with sponsoring families. And so the sponsoring family in this situation was the trafficker. And so they forced these children, teenagers, 14, 15 years old, to work long hours on a dirty egg farm, debeaking chickens and loading chickens and harvesting eggs without any pay and without any freedom to leave. And how long was that going on before it was discovered? It's not quite clear. They have been bringing children over to the United States for the purpose of labor trafficking for a long time. And it wasn't until a federal investigation on the immigration status of their workers did they discover that the children had been brought there against their will and were working against their will. How many people were rescued from this? And then what happened after that? Do you know? According to the news article, they specifically said the word dozens. So I'm assuming at least over 20 people were rescued in this operation. And then do you know what happened to them after that? I believe that most of them were placed with existing family members they had in the United States. And some of them were offered the opportunity to go back to Guatemala to be with their families. Wow. So this was right here, right in Ohio, in Marion, Ohio. And then you said you had a second example. Another case that has actually hit the news is from Kentucky. It turns out in July of 2019, a man named Sean Floyd from Indianapolis brought 12 children to Kentucky to sell candy door to door. And as you know, there are child labor laws in place and the majority of these children were 11 or 12 years old being forced to go door to door. And so, Luckily, the children were exploited for just a couple of months before law enforcement was informed of his presence in this small town in Kentucky. And so they have arrested the trafficker and he's due to be sentenced any day now. How did he force these children to do this and go door to door? I believe he controlled them with the the promise of making money. I don't know exactly where these children came from, if they came from families or if they had been runaway youth or if they were at risk, but he did promise them some sort of pay and they weren't paid. And this is a case of American citizens' children. Yes. Any other stories you have for us? One of the most well-known survivors of labor trafficking is actually from our area here in Cincinnati. His name is Harold D'Souza, and his story is really, really powerful if you ever get the chance to talk to him. 
So thanks for bringing that one up. So Harold D'Souza, we actually spoke with Harold. So if you missed that episode last week, go back to the podcast and listen to last week's episode. Samantha's right. It's a compelling story of something that happened right here in this area. So do we have any kind of statistics at all on how prevalent this might be in the United States or anything like that? The latest statistics we have from the Polaris Project, who run the National Human Trafficking Hotline, are from 2018, and only 1,249 cases were reported. I would argue that that number is very, very underreported for lots of different reasons, one of which is often law enforcement who investigate these types of crimes choose to charge the perpetrators with other crimes besides labor trafficking because other crimes are easier to prove. For example, an illicit massage business that is operating improperly with sex trafficking or labor trafficking could be shut down because of fire code reasons or because of tax evasion reasons, not necessarily because of labor trafficking reasons. So law enforcement agencies need to do a better job of calling it as it is and charging them with that specific crime. And the government needs to give more support to these law enforcement agencies so that they can investigate these crimes so that they can stick because labor traffickers, even more so than sex traffickers, know that they're not going to be held accountable. And even if their business shuts down, they can form another business with a different name and do the exact same thing to people. That is very interesting. So part of what you're saying is that if law enforcement become aware of a possible human trafficking situation, the concern about getting people out of that situation is that we'll charge them with whatever we know we can charge them with in order to save the victims, even a fire code violation. If that's the best they can do, then that's what they'll do. They'll get the workers out of the situation. But unfortunately, if you only have a fine for a fire code, then the people who have been doing the trafficking, they get away with it. They set up a restaurant or massage business, whatever they're doing somewhere else, and they just do it again. Why is it that it is so difficult to prove human trafficking? One of the problems is that the issue of labor trafficking is not that well defined in state laws. There are research being done by a lot of different partners around Ohio currently to try to make some recommendation to the Ohio General Assembly about laws that we could pass so we can hold people accountable to labor trafficking. So that's the first problem, is law enforcement aren't quite clear about what is labor trafficking and what is not labor trafficking. In addition to that, a lot of police departments and sheriff's deputies don't have the same amount of resources and time to investigate these crimes. So luckily, here in Cincinnati, we have a law enforcement working group as part of our local coalition to end human trafficking who share resources and share knowledge so that they can bring the charges against the perpetrators. If you're from a small town or even in Hamilton County in a suburb, you might not have those resources. So that's another reason why officers don't often bring those charges because it takes a lot of time and investigation. So why is it that we don't have good definitions of that? And how does this tie into other issues? Labor trafficking is very similar to labor exploitation, which is when 
workers are not being treated fairly, but they're not necessarily being trafficked into the situation. They have the freedom to leave. They're not necessarily being controlled. And so because those lines are so close to one another, a lot of government officials hesitate to define labor trafficking because they don't want to infringe on the rights of the businesses. And so it is really important to realize that paying someone a good wage, a living wage, providing safe housing for workers who are not from the area is intrinsically connected to labor trafficking. Another issue that kind of goes hand in hand is economic abuse. So we've heard of domestic violence and physical and psychological abuse but we often don't talk about economic abuse and that is the control of someone's use of money or someone receiving money and so those crimes too can easily lead to a trafficking situation if someone is not in control of their own money that they're earning and someone else is in charge of it and so i think when we define the issue of labor trafficking, we need to think about all of these intersections and all of these different issues so that we can comprehensively address it and account for all of the different ways people are exploited for their labor. Well, Samantha, here's an interesting question. It was back in October that domestic violence was our topic for the month. And I talked to four or five different people who were victims of domestic abuse. And one of the pretty common themes was that they were either married or, or living with someone and they had a job, but the finances were controlled by the husband or by the boyfriend. And that's part of what kept them tied into that relationship, made it difficult for them to leave because they had no money. Even though they earned money, they didn't have access to that money, so they couldn't leave and get an apartment somewhere or whatever. It wasn't the only thing that kept them in the house, but it was one of the things that kept them in the house. Would that, by definition, fall under also a labor trafficking situation? It's abuse, obviously, either way. But is that also labor trafficking, or is that really not fall under the definition? That's a really interesting question. I mentioned that a lot of these things, there's a fine line in the definition. And so I mentioned before, in labor trafficking, you have to have the act, the means, and the purpose of trafficking. And so for domestic violence and domestic control and economic abuse, you actually have the actor, the trafficker, the person that is doing harm to the other person. There is a sort of means of control, but the third piece is what might be missing in the definition, which is what they're being forced to do. And there are probably great arguments in that situation that you just gave that that could be a form of labor trafficking, but that's usually not the definition and the example that we get in the cases that we know of. That was just something that came to mind because I was talking. If anybody's interested in the domestic violence topic and the resources that we have available, you can look towards October of 2019 on that topic on the podcast. So, Samantha, okay, so we've been educated. We talked a little bit more about what trafficking is, what it might look like, what are some examples. What if we want to get involved and help in this issue? What is it that the regular person in the pew can do about this issue, even right here in Ohio? So, there are lots of different things people can do on an individual level all the way up to a systemic level. On an individual level, you can take a look at where the products you buy come from and are made. So the fair trade program is a really great indicator that that product that you're buying 
was made with fair labor and not trafficked labor. So by making smart purchases, we can chip away at the issue of labor trafficking and reduce the demand for cheaply made goods, which often are made with trafficked labor. We can also demand that our government do business with companies that guarantee worker protections, fair rates, and are actively fighting against labor trafficking. So government contracts and other publicly funded business should definitely be coming from those companies that have ethical standards. We should follow and listen to workers when they say they need more protections. Often workers and their unions go on strike and ask for better protections. And because the issue of labor exploitation and labor trafficking are so close to one another, it's important that we care about that too. The last thing I wanted to say specifically, if you're at a restaurant or receiving a specific service, or if you have contracted with a small business to go work on your roof, pay attention to how the workers are treated. If you can, ask them, how often do you get breaks? Are you happy with what you're paid? Where are you from? Just to build that relationship and see if they're being taken advantage of for their labor. The National Human Trafficking Hotline is the best place to go to make reports if you think you see labor trafficking. And that number is pretty easy to remember. My background's in social work. And so, of course, on my cell phone, I have every hotline you can imagine saved in there. And I think this is one you should save, too. The number is one 888 And again, that's the National Human Trafficking Hotline. So if you see a situation that seems like it could be labor trafficking, go ahead and make that call and they will properly start the investigation and help those folks out. But if you're listening on the podcast, you're right. It is easy to remember. one 3737 888 Is there a website as well to remember that has that number on it? Yes. The website is humantraffickinghotline.org. Not only does it have the number on there, but there's also a text option and a live chat option. So let me share the screen here for a second. Okay, so humantraffickinghotline.org. Here it is. There's the number, one 888 There's also a text, as you just mentioned. It's right here. If you see on the screen or on the podcast, the text is 233733. But if you can't remember that, go to Human Trafficking Hotline and you will find it. Is there anything else on this website while we're looking at it that you want to point out in particular? I think the statistics are very interesting. Obviously, at the bottom, these are cases that they've had since they've started the human trafficking hotline. The hotline began in December of 2007. And so there have been over 56,000 cases reported, as well as lots of different contacts and individual calls. And so we have a long way to go in terms of statistics, but you can see that even just this year, 23,000 of those contacts came this year. And as awareness grows and as people are reporting things that look uncomfortable, we'll have better statistics specifically on labor trafficking so that we can figure out how this crime happens, how it continues to happen, and how we can pass better laws to stop it from happening and protect people. Okay, are there other ways that people can get involved? So there are a lot of different organizations in Cincinnati that work on the issue of human trafficking. 
Unfortunately, there are very, very few who focus specifically on labor trafficking, but workers' rights organizations like the Cincinnati Interfaith Workers Center is crucial in protecting people who might be migrant workers, as well as ABLE, Advocates for Basic Legal Equality. They do a lot of outreach in the fields to migrant workers to make sure they're not being exploited. My organization, the Intercommunity Justice and Peace Center, or IJPC for short, is doing a lot of work on educating the general public as well as our elected officials on the issue of labor trafficking. And not too long ago, I had some really great educational conversations with legislators on the Ohio General Assembly about this issue. So we have planted the seeds talking about what needs to be done. And right now we're in the research phase to pass better laws. So if you want to support IJPC, our website is www.ijpccincinnati.org. Okay, so ijpccincinnati.org. We're sharing that on the screen right now if you wanted to see that. You can learn more about all that they do as well as right there at the top. There's the Donate Now button. Now, all of the websites and organizations that you just mentioned, Samantha, will be mentioned in the article that we write. It'll be online. Go to www.catholiccincinnati.org slash being-pro-life. Always uh, that month's topic, all the resources are mentioned right there. So if you want to look into any of those organizations Samantha just mentioned, Go to the Being Pro-Life website. And then Samantha, so you said you're kind of working on, there isn't anything right now that is being looked at by the House or the Senate that we can call people to vote on at this moment. But if there is, is there a website, would it be IJPC, where if something does come up that you want people to call their senators to act on, it would show up there? Yes. So our website has a page for each of the issues that we work on. There's a page specifically for human trafficking and about halfway down, there are some action alerts. So I believe one of the action alerts is related to child sex trafficking right now. But if there were to be a specific bill that we're pushing for, it would be under programs and then human trafficking. That's where we put our alerts. We also send out issue-specific emails when there is an opportunity to call about a bill. At the very top there, you see where it says sign up, and that's where you can sign up for issues that are specific to human trafficking. The last organization I wanted to be sure to mention is End Slavery Cincinnati. They are in charge of the local anti-human trafficking coalition and have been the leaders in convening the law enforcement working group as well as initiating the conversation with our representatives about all of these different issues related to labor trafficking. And so End Slavery Cincinnati is a great organization to plug into. They're very active on Facebook, and you can also find them through our website too, I believe. Thanks for talking with us today about labor trafficking, how to recognize it, what it is, maybe what you can do if you see it, and some organizations that work in that that we can support if we are interested. Thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you so much for having me on. I really believe that the more we know, the more we can do, and the more we can take action to end labor trafficking. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in on this episode of our Being Pro-Life series. Head to the website and view all the links talked about in this episode at www.catholiccincinnati.org slash being-pro-life. 
Thank you again for joining us today, and I look forward to being with you next time.